to take your Bibles if you have them or access to a copy of the scriptures and join me in the Old Testament and join me in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Uh, Flip around in the Old Testament, you'll find it eventually. It's one of the largest books in the Bible. Jeremiah chapter one, we're beginning a new series in this book this week. And we are going to let the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah lead us to and a little beyond Easter. And I'm not gonna say a lot by way of introduction or background before we read the text for this morning. I'll include some of that in the sermon this week and in the weeks uh, to come, but instead we'll just come and hear the beginning uh, of this book that God has given to us uh, through his servant and his prophet, Jeremiah. Begin in verse one and read the whole chapter for us. Jeremiah chapter one, verse one. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. But you dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command to you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, help us. We're reminded again that when we come to your word, when we come to this scriptures that you have given to us, we often come to what is strange to us, what is difficult to understand, what is hard to hear. And so we come 
And we desire to trust that these words are gifts from you, but we need help to do that. And we need help to understand them. And we need help to know how they connect and speak to our lives. And so would you give us that help this morning? Would you send your spirit and would he reveal to us your love? We ask that you would open our eyes and our ears, our minds and our hearts to receive what you are saying and to be changed by it. And we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I received an email, and the first two words in that email were bad news. In the subject line of that email was the acronym FAFSA. And so we are a family that is planning and trying to put a kid in college. And so the last thing I wanted to hear about FAFSA were the words bad news. It's not an email that I wanted to open. But that is a little bit of what it feels like to open the book of Jeremiah. Many of us have had the kind of week that we come here this morning and the last thing we want to hear is bad news. But that is what exactly we hear in this book and a lot of it. One Jewish rabbi said that Jeremiah was born wailing and never stopped. He is one of the great Debbie Downers of the Bible. Even these opening verses of the book, they place his life and work right in the middle of the most traumatic and disastrous moment of the history of God's people. As the Babylonian armies were slaughtering and pillaging and burning their way towards the city of Jerusalem and would make their way to that city, destroy that city, displace God's people from their homes and send them into exile. And Jeremiah not only talked about that, he lived through that. He not only announced bad news, he lived bad news. So what are we doing? Why are we opening this email? Why are we spending this Sunday and the next nine or 10 Sundays with the bad news of Jeremiah? Why does that matter to us? Why is that at all helpful to us this morning and in the week to come? Well, I wanna look together at this opening chapter and find two reasons that we need this bad news. Uh, We need it because of the source of this news and the content of this news. First of all, the source of this news. Uh, The first part of Jeremiah chapter one is less about the message of Jeremiah and more about the messenger. And I want you to see that the calling of Jeremiah, as this chapter narrates the calling of Jeremiah as a prophet, as one who speaks on behalf of God, His calling to speak on behalf of God flows from a unique relationship with God. Verse five, God says to him, even in utero, Jeremiah, I knew you and set you apart for this all-embracing vocation. 
And then when Jeremiah understandably questions God's vetting process and says, I am far too young and my public speaking skills are not nearly good enough. Maybe you need to find someone else. God reaffirms the call, reissues the call and says to him, I will be with you, assures him of his presence. And then God doesn't stop there. He reaches out with his hand and makes contact with Jeremiah, touches his mouth and says, behold, I put my words in your mouth. And then God directs Jeremiah's attention to an almond branch, the branch of an almond tree. And the opening verses of this chapter tell us that Jeremiah was a priest and belonged to a family of priests. And so as he looked at that almond branch, he would have been reminded of his ancestor, Aaron. And when God wanted to show the people that he was setting apart, he was authenticating Aaron as the priest and his family as the priest in God's people, those who would minister in and from the presence of God. When God wanted to show the people that, he caused Aaron's staff to blossom. With what? With the flowers of an almond tree. And the word almond sounds like the Hebrew word watching. And so God goes on to say to Jeremiah, I am watching over this word. I am watching over this message that I have put into your mouth. All of that to say that Jeremiah's calling to speak the word of God comes from an intimate contact with, connection with the presence of God. And it's not just Jeremiah. His reticence and the assurance of God's presence reminds us of Moses and his call. When the hand of the Lord touches his mouth, that reminds us of Isaiah and the burning coal that came from the altar of, God, of God's presence and touched purified the mouth of Isaiah. When God puts his words in Jeremiah's mouth, Jeremiah describes that in, in chapter 15 as eating the word of God, which reminds us of Ezekiel who ate the scroll of the message that God was giving to him. The point is that when God calls a messenger, he binds himself to that messenger. He always accompanies his word with his presence. And why does that matter? Why is that so important? Well, certainly it means that the words that we read in Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and throughout the rest of Scripture, they bear the authority of God. They also bear the truth of God. They are authentically God's word to us, but there's more. What does God say in verse 12 as he's watching over his word? He says, I am watching over my word to verify it. No, to perform it. What does he say as he says, Jeremiah, I will be with you. I will be with you, not to, just so that you tell the truth. I will be with you to deliver you. 
In other words, the joining of God's word and God's presence means that God's word is not only authoritative, it is not only truthful, it is effective. God's word accomplishes what it announces. And so Jeremiah doesn't just talk about these things that God is going to do. As he talks, God is doing those things. And so that is what we should expect when we come to Jeremiah, when we come to Isaiah, when we come to Ezekiel, when we come to the rest of the scriptures. It is a word that is not only authoritative, a word that is not only truthful, it is a word that is effective, that accomplishes, that does what it announces. It's like when I say to a man in a tux and a woman in a white dress, man and wife, I am not just giving them information. That changes something for them. It transforms their life even down to how they file their taxes. When a judge says the word guilty, he is not just describing a person, he is changing that person's life forever. And that is the kind of word, only so much more, that we find in Jeremiah throughout the rest of the scriptures. It is not only a word of God's truth, it is a word of God's power to do what he has said. And that should shape our expectations. That should shape what we are looking for as we come to the Bible. We are not just looking for an intellectual education. We are not just looking to win theological debates. We are looking for the profound transformation of everything. But that makes our problem worse. Bad news of information is scary. Bad news of transformation is far more frightening. And so why should we listen? Why should we listen to the effective bad news of Jeremiah? Well, not only because of the source, but also because of the content. I mentioned that Jeremiah lived and worked during the moment of exile. But his job as a prophet wasn't just to announce the historical fact of the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile. His job as a prophet was to interpret that historical fact, to answer the question, why is this happening? And as he answers the question, why is this happening? He shows the people and he shows us that the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile wasn't just the result of economic, political, technological upheaval. Instead, Jeremiah shows us that that economic and political and technological upheaval from a larger perspective, belong to what God was doing. What was happening was the result of what God was doing. And in particular, it was the result of God's act of judgment. Verse 16 says it 
most clearly. God says, I will declare my judgments against my people because of the evil they have done by turning away from me because of their idolatry. God says, because my people have turned away from me, I am turning against them. Because they have given themselves to the gods of other nations, I am now giving them into the hand of another nation. Exile was the historical manifestation of a spiritual alienation that already existed as God's people had again and again and again turned for their deepest security, their deepest guidance, their deepest purpose to something or someone other than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Which makes Jeremiah's bad news disturbingly relevant for us. Because though we do not live in his historical moment, we do live in that spiritual alienation. We are born bent away from God and what he wants. And we spend our lives looking for what only he can give in anyone or anything else other than him. And so we live under the judgment, under the wrath of God that Jeremiah announces. But, and this is so important, judgment wasn't the whole of Jeremiah's interpretation of that historical moment. Judgment wasn't the full answer to why is all this happening. Notice the images for Jeremiah and his message throughout this chapter. These images are drawn from the world of military, agriculture, and construction. And all of those vocations destroy but they do not destroy just for the sake of destruction, right? Military fights or should fight for the sake of peace, for the sake of not fighting. Farmers pluck up, they plow, they dig up in order to plant. Builders tear down in order to build up. That's the end goal. The end goal isn't destruction. And so, Jeremiah, verse 10, as you speak this effective word, yes, you will pluck up, tear down, destroy, and overthrow, but that is not all that you will do. After you have done that, this effective word will build and plant new life. And then God gives him two more images Verse 11 and verse 13, verse 13, this pot of boiling water that is poured out. Now why, think, in the ancient world would a pot of water, of boiling water, be poured out? This is not an accident, this is not a spill. It would have been poured out in order to clean the house. It's not just an image of destruction, it is an image of cleansing. And then back to our old friend, the almond branch. One more thing that you need to know about almond trees in the, in the Near East. They are to this day the first plant to flower in spring. 
And so they are a sign of new life, of new growth, a symbol of hope. Do you see it? Jeremiah's bad news is for the sake of good news. His announcement of judgment is a judgment that will give way to mercy and blessing. He does not announce a God who destroys just for the sake of destruction. He announces a God who demolishes in order to renovate. And this is not only the message of Jeremiah, this is the message of the whole Bible, which is why the bad news of Jeremiah leads us to the good news of Jesus. Jesus, who didn't just eat the word of God like a prophet, he is the word of God become flesh. He's not just assured of God's presence like Jeremiah was, he is God for us, who yes, announces judgment, who warns and calls for repentance, but then what does he do? He goes to the cross, he is hung on a tree, he is planted in the tomb so that those who are in him could flourish with new life, could belong to the spring of a new creation. As we heard in an excellent sermon last week, Jesus will blow your life up. But why does he do that? In order to build it again into something better. The message of Jeremiah, and in, in the end, the message of the gospel, the message about Jesus, is a message of demolition that leads to renovation. I didn't plan this, but this room where you sit throughout this week has been full of dust and noise, and it is still a bit of a mess this morning, isn't it? Why? We are trying to beautify this space, and in order to beautify a space, you have to make a bit of a mess first. And that is the news of Jeremiah. That is the message of the gospel. It is the message of a God who will beautify you, but he'll make a bit of a mess first. He will uproot your idolatries. He will uproot the attachment of your deepest trust to anything or anyone other than him. But he does that so he can plant you in what will cause you to truly flourish. The message of the gospel anticipated by Jeremiah is the message that God will deconstruct yourself. That self that we try to build according to our own design and for our own reputation, for our own glory, God will tear that down. He will blow that up. But for the sake of rebuilding, renovating something that is more lastingly beautiful for his glory. So are you willing to take the risk of hearing this news? Are you willing, like Jeremiah, like Ezekiel, not just to hear this word, not just to think about this word, but to ingest it, 
to allow it into the depths of your being so that God can do his demolishing and renovating work in you. I heard one, someone say recently, the truth will set you free, but it'll ruin your day first. <laughs> That's Jeremiah. Will you let him ruin your day? Because if you will, it will most assuredly set you free. That's why we're opening this email. That's why we're reading this book. Yeah, it's going to ruin some Sundays, but it will set us free. The bad news of FAFSA is that they messed up the rollout of a new system. And so we are going to have to wait much longer than normal to hear about what is available as financial aid, which is frustrating, anxiety producing, but there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. The bad news of Jeremiah is better because on the one hand, it is a more disastrous announcement than delayed financial aid. But on the other hand, this is not a message of fruitless frustration. It is the message that God has done something about it. That in his son, he has taken the judgment that we deserved so that we could live under his fructifying blessing and favor. So will you take the risk of opening the email of hearing the bad news of Jeremiah and letting him lead you to the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I can say we are grateful for your word, but sometimes we're not. Sometimes your word confronts us it calls us out. It says difficult things that are hard to hear. But I pray that as we go on this journey through the book of Jeremiah, as we come uh, to your word week in and week out, you would give us the faith to trust, to know that even when you say difficult things to us, you are doing your good, renovating work in us. You are plucking up in order to plant new life. Would you help us to have the faith to hear that call to repentance and to respond and to open our lives to the work that your word will do in us as it makes us beautiful, even when it's making a little bit of a mess. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.